So tonight is September 8th, and the title of tonight's message is Strictly Fidelity. Strictus Fidelis. From Duramolis Duramaximus. <laughs> We're going to have fun tonight. LCM, we want to start off by just talking about the ways in which we've seen growth and maturity and the strengthening in the body. Reassora claim. Those Reassora men are growing in strength in every way, huh, Adam? They're growing in, in tenacity for discipleship and going after the word. Look at a man like Adam Cora and the way in which he shepherds his home. And he is a shepherd over everyone that comes into his home. Amen. His house is a place for the meeting of mighty men. Looking at Ray Pena. That stalwart Ray. That Ray is full of joy, full of life, no matter how sleepy he gets on Sundays. <laughs> yes. And he wakes them prisoners up, let me tell you. Church, we are thankful for this body in every way. We are overcoming in this body in every way. But as our pastor was telling us in worship, we got more to go. There's more victory to be had, and the Lord is laying out a clear way for us to attain that victory, and we're going to do it together. We're going to get to open God's word together and show you what he's just been doing in us, what he's been doing in our team as we engage and reflect it on Sunday's word. You guys excited? So, LCM, you guys are good Bible students. Yes? I want to ask you guys a question. What is the initial purpose of mankind? Our corporate purpose. Amen. So you guys open up your Bible. Somebody might have been studying the Hebrew. <laughs> open up your Bible to Genesis chapter 1. And when you get there, say strictly fidelis. Or strictly fidelity. Look at what it says. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. LCM, we were put here to reflect God's image on earth. His majesty, his glory, his character. And of course, who is better? Better to show us what God himself is like. What he expects of us as his image bearers. Other than his one and only son, Jesus. So when you think about that, think about Hebrews chapter 1. In Hebrews chapter 1, 3, we'll put it up here on the screen. It says, the son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he has provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Jesus is the radiance of the Father and the exact representation of him. So if we want to know about God and how he feels about a particular subject, what his thoughts are, who do we look to? Jesus. We who look do to we look son. to? Jesus. We look to his son who is the exact representation. So... Jesus is the what? The son of God. Right? Everybody agree? Yes. We want to ask you a question. Who is Jesus to you? 
a friend, Lord, master. He's a brother, Rob. He's a son of God, but he's a brother to us. He's a friend to us. And when speaking to his own disciples, the man, that he, the man he entrusted the kingdom of God to, he said this in John 15 regarding the love that we're supposed to show to one another. Now get to John 15, 13. I like the sign of the Bible is flipping. Greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Mm. Pastor Eric uh, shared this amazing word with us on Sunday. Were y'all blessed by that word? Did it it increase your thankfulness for the brothers to your left and to your right? Absolutely. And he reminded us on Sunday, but I think it's proper that we remind ourselves again. Jesus is not talking about a a touchy-feely kind of love. He's talking about a love that goes beyond emotions. That's right, Joe. A love that goes beyond emotions, how you feel in the moment. He's talking about sacrifice. He's talking about love that is demonstrated by what you do for your brother. And that is the love that he's calling this body to walk in. We have been seeking the face of our God, that he might show us how he desires for us to carry out this command. Have any of you, did you hear the word on on Sunday and be like, okay, I got it. I know how to do it exactly. No. No. Yes, Lord. How? Show me how, how you want me to die, how you want me to die to myself so that I would defeat disparity by granting equality with my brother. We've been seeking the face of God. Oh, Lord, how do you want us to do that? Because it sounds simple enough, but I promise you, it's not practiced enough. It's why a pastor was telling it to us. Like it says in James 1.22, we will not deceive ourselves by merely hearing this word that God has given to us. No, it's it's intent that we do what it says. So I'll be reflecting on it tonight. We want to share with you what we found this week as a key to accomplish this all-important kingdom task. Do you want this key? Do you want the key? Here's the key. We must have a firm grasp on why we exist. We are to have a firm grasp on why we exist on this earth. Why God brought us to this body? Why did he save us? We need a firm grasp of that. And it's our intent to discover it in a new way tonight. As a man, as a friend, and as as a brother, I exist for one reason. One reason alone. To lay down my life for this body. To lay down my life for Abimbola. Daramola, Duris Maximus. <laughs> it's why God, why, why he brought us together. Y'all have heard the stories. Y'all, y'all know about our history in college. Y'all know about the ways in which we were praying for people and we wasn't even saved. <laughs> How that works, I don't know, but it happened. But God brought us together for this purpose. 
He brought us together so that I would see my brother fulfill the calling on his life. He brought me to this body so that I would see Steve Thomas rise as the mighty man of God that he is and reflect God's glory and God's judgments. That's why he gave us to one another. If not, why, why are we even here? Question that doesn't need an answer. We have to have a firm grasp on why we exist. Uh, it's, it's funny. When I introduce myself as Abimbola, people think that's a long name. <laughs> why does Abimbola, Omotayo, Temitape, Temitayo, Daramola exist on this earth? <laughs> why did God, with all the many names that I have, why did God put me here physically on earth? Why did he give me the family that I have, the wife that I have, the daughter that I have, and a daughter on the way? It's so that as a family, our sole purpose on earth and the reason that we exist is to be intimately aware of what the Linton's purposes are. To speak life into it. To breathe into their mezuzah. That's why we exist. That's why we're here. We exist so that a man like Ibrahim Zakari, who is connecting and connecting others, who's connected to the Father and connecting others to the heart of the Father, may be elevated. To speak life into that. It's like men like Asad Robinson. A man who is to call to prepare God's people for war by setting them in right order in their divisions ready for battle. That's why I exist. That's why my family exists, that we will lay down our lives like John 15, 13 to see the Robinsons fulfill their call. As a team, talking about this body, as a team, as a singular unit, why do we exist? I think it's pinned perfectly in one of our oaths from the, the oaths and irreducible minimums of the one association. Having been adopted into the Holy Family, I will not rest until every nation in the world is represented before his throne. That is why we exist. That why, that's why he started with one man, two men, gave us families, made us a team, put us in a team of teams. So that we, we would see every nation represented before God's throne. That is our purpose. Amen. It's not to feel good about ourselves. Read the word. It, it's not to serve ourselves. It's so that he would have a representative from every nation in this world giving praise and honor to the God who deserves it. Yep. What are we talking about? LCM, it is a love for the brotherhood. That is why we exist. And it's why we must have a firm grasp on this revelation. It must be fought for. It must be protected. Because it is the key to how we advance the kingdom on this earth. This is why we have to be aware of the things that seek to divide us. It's not just the external enemies. It's not the circumstances. Those things actually draw us together. But it's the internal ones. Our pastor shared with us on Tuesday night, and have been doing so repeatedly, how the most dangerous enemies 
are the ones that we face on the inside. Those insidious internal enemies. One that is being graciously exposed to us this week that we have to clinch with is conveniently encompassed in the prefix of self. Did it bless you when we, we as the, the, the weeks prior, we've been learning how to rightly deal with fear and anxiety? Have you been being freed from fear and anxiety? Right? Were you thankful when the pastors gave us Eureka? I found it. God is uncovering another one so that we would win. And it's called self. Self-intoxication. Self-indulgence. Whatever you want to put before self. This is the death knell to us dying for our brother's callings. Whenever we are seeking to do, God, seeking to do God's will, but self takes predominance, that is an insidious internal enemy that's seeking to rob us of what we have for our brother. Remember, our strength is for our brother. Our faith is for our brother. Self seeks, you, seeks to rob us of that. Well, you know what we say to that? Hell no. Not tonight, not ever. One of the best examples of a man's love for the brotherhood, which was shown through his sacrificial and covenantal actions, is none other than John the Immerser. Y'all turn with us to John 3.28. When you get to John 3, verse 28, say strictly fidelity. It says this. You yourselves can testify that I said I am not the Christ, but am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him. And is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and it is now complete. He must become greater and I must become less. What was John the Immerser's purpose on earth? To see Jesus glorified. John had a firm grasp from the very beginning of who he was and why he existed. He is one of the best examples that we can see in the word. So much so that in John chapter 1, and we'll just put it here up on the screen. John chapter 1 and verse 29. When he, when he saw Jesus, it says the next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Look, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him. But the reason I came baptizing, the reason he came bringing revival to the nation of Israel, the reason that he was eating locusts and honey and baptizing with water was so that Jesus would be revealed to Israel. Talk about a man who understands who he is and why he exists. The entire reason John the Immerser was born into this world is so that Jesus would be glorified. He wasn't let down. And seeing Jesus as a, a star that was rising, it was his life's goal. It was his ambition. John's joy was to see Jesus be elevated in every way. And he said, my joy is made complete to see him increase while I decrease. LCM, John did not have an identity crisis. He wasn't concerned about himself. 
or trying to blow his own trumpet. Think about this. How many people in the entire Bible does it say that they were filled with the Holy Spirit in their mother's womb? That's what it said about John. And yet he didn't blow his own trumpet. He wasn't talking about himself. This is a man that they had prophecies about in the Old Testament. And he's not talking about those things. The same man that Jesus said that out of all women, out of all men that are born of women, that there was no one greater than John the Immerser. And yet John forgoes this honor to claim anything for himself because all he cared about was being, watching Jesus become elevated. Amen. LCM, this is us. This is what we are called to. Now remember how when we started this tonight, church, that Jesus is the one who represents the Father as an exact representation of his character, who perfectly reflects the image of God. Think about this. The fact that John is doing what he's doing so that Jesus would be revealed is fulfilling the call of Genesis 1.28. Jesus is multiplying God's image on earth. The fact that John can lay down his life and the sole purpose of his ministry was to see that Jesus would be revealed to Israel, all of this comes full circle. This is John 15, 13. Greater love has no man than this than to lay down his life for his friend. And John says, I am the friend who is laying down my life so Jesus will be glorified. LCM, this is key for us. Our purpose, my purpose, Justin Linton's purpose is to see Jesus, the Son of God, revealed. That is our calling. To see that the Son of God, that the Father has called you guys to be. That in doing this, we are fulfilling our call. Through the laying down of our lives, I'm watching Abraham fulfill, become more and more and more a son of God. I'm watching Nolan Hewitt Hewitt become more and more a son of God. This is beautiful. Church, this is what fidelity and love for the brotherhood looks like. And we have to take on this same attitude in our hearts and in our actions that John demonstrated here in John chapter 3. Y'all see that? Do you see how John laying down his life for Jesus to be revealed to Israel was, in fact, walking out Genesis 1, 28? Do you think that John, and you, uh, we, we, we've already told you the answer. Do you think that John walked around like, hmm, I don't feel fulfilled in my purpose. I don't feel elevated in my calling. Him knowing who he was and what his actual existence was for, that is a gift to us. Because I can look at a man like Nolan Hewitt and not even worry about my mezuzah. But say, hey, we need Nolan to reflect the glory of God to all of us. So I'm going to work to that end to see Nolan revealed. I'm going to work to that end to see, see my brother Marlon raised up to who God has called him to be. And in that, we will be fulfilling our calling. But there's nothing selfish in that. No self in there. Church, it's always been about the brotherhood. Solid. <laughs> Having love for our brotherhood. They just, they just didn't, get, they didn't go far enough to actually get it right. We're not talking about emotion. We're not talking about just an affinity for one another. 
We're talking about a demonstration of God's power as we love one another. Demonstrating Christ-like nature inside of us as we lay down our lives for our friends. As we wash one another in the word. As we remind one another of what God has called us to. And we can't, we can't leave not one behind. Church, we're discovering more of the ancient way. Amen. We're discovering more of how to actually walk on that ancient path. See, we've seen John go before us and do it. We've seen Jesus go before us and do it. We've seen his, his disciples go and show us what it looks like. But God is saying, no, I've called you to walk on that same highway, Brother Jaron. He's calling us to find that highway of holiness and to all go on it together. Church is going to start with this. This might bring to mind some Talmudim action. It's going to start by this, by physically being around and with your brothers. There is a, a physical connection that the body of Christ has. For me to look at you and say, hey, brother, be warm and be well fed, but not do anything to actually see that take place, that would be a travesty. And that would be sin. It's the same in every area of our lives. We're called to be physically around and with one another for the purpose of laying down our lives. Turn with us to Exodus 4. We're going to start in verse 13. Amen. Do you guys want to see how to put this into practice in your life? Yeah. Romans, 13, Romans 15 tells us that the things written in the past were written to teach us. So we're like all good things start, we're starting in the law. In Exodus 4.13, it says, but Moses said, oh, Lord, please some, send somebody else to do it. What a way to start a conversation. <laughs> then the Lord's anger burned against Moses, and he said, what about your brother Aaron, the Levite? I know he, speak, he can speak well. He is already on his way to meet you, and his heart will be glad when he sees you. You see... When you're engaging rightly with Exodus 4, can you see how Moses' knee is buckling under the weight of the call? How many times has this been us wrestling whether or not I can do what God has called me to do? Isn't that what Moses is doing here? Oh, Lord, send somebody else, not me. Yes, the bush is on fire, and this is a, a rare phenomenon, and God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is speaking to me, and all these miraculous things he's doing in front of Moses, but Lord, send somebody else, because I am not the one for the job. Aye. But what does Moses tell him? What does the Lord tell Moses? What does the Lord tell us? He reminds us that it's not about you and what you would do. Rather... It's about what you and your brother will do. Did you guys catch that phrase there? He said, Aaron is already on his way to meet you. Church, when we're talking about being physically with or around our brothers, do you see this here in Aaron? Do you see here in Aaron and how this should inspire fidelity to our brothers? That he's already on his way to meet Moses. Where's Aaron coming from? How far is that? Egypt. Egypt to where the, the mountain of God is, Mount Sinai. And Aaron is on his way out into the desert to be with Moses. Aaron was already on his way. 
him being on his way shows a commitment to Moses. When we're physically near our brothers, when we go the distance, we're showing a fidelity to our brothers. We're showing a commitment to our brothers. Regardless of the geographical distance between us. See, this was not wishful thinking for Aaron. He wasn't waiting for Moses to come to him. He wasn't waiting for Moses to bring the revelation to him. He knew that his brother needed him, and he obliterated any excuse or self and went out to the desert to go see him. This is what it's like to inspire fidelity. I think back to 2017 when my, my, my company sent me out to Malaysia. All by myself, my lonesome self, singles a dollar bill. And I remember Pastor Eric. I remember Pastor Eric flying all the way to Malaysia. And for you guys who were here in 2017, it was rough. There was a lot of spiritual warfare, but he came out to see me. Not wishful thinking, not, hey, brother, yeah, we'll see you when you get back. He bought plane tickets and sacrificed to come see me and to stand with me and said, hey, I know who you are. You're a son of God. Continue in the work. Isn't this what Aaron is doing for Moses? This is what we're called to do for one another. This is what we get to do for one another, being physically around our brothers. Sometimes we don't even need to say anything. We can stand next to our brothers and just make eye contact and be strengthened in those moments. The amount of times that I've locked eyes with Paul Rosales across the room and the amount of times that I've been strengthened just by looking at him and him, me, this is what, it, what, is, this is what it's like to inspire fidelity and to show a love for the brotherhood. And as we engage with the remaining passages, put yourself in, in their state. Put yourself in their shoes. Aaron was already on his way. That's the type of heart that we need to demonstrate. Check out verse 27 in Exodus 4. It says, the Lord said to Aaron, go into the desert to meet Moses. So he met Moses at the mountain of God and he kissed him. Then Moses told Aaron everything the Lord had sent him to say and also all the miraculous signs he had commanded him to perform. How, re how, re how relieved do you think Moses was at the moment he saw Aaron? Remember, engage with this. He was only with sheep prior to this. And to have a brother show up in the middle, not even the middle, in the backside of a desert. Think about that. And say, hey, bro, I'm here. How, stre how strengthened do you think Moses was in that moment? What has, it been, what has it been like when you were facing something difficult, LCM, and then you saw your pastor show up? Maybe your car broke down on the highway. And Pastor Matt with his rumbling truck was, was bearing down to come save you. How did you feel in that moment? Relieved. Thankful. Right? See, the physical presence of our brothers is everything, church. It's the one thing that has built this church. It's what, the past, what Pastor Eric was talking about on Sunday. It's what's built this church. See, driving hours to go strengthen a brother's hands or to participate in the One Association building project... When Carlos and Spencer went out to help uh, our brothers there in Denton, that is strengthening. When they saw your face, when they're working night and day, you know, maybe running out of materials, whatever the case. You know how it is when you're working on a construction site? Things don't always go to plan. And to have brothers drive in the middle of the night and show up and say, here, we're here to work. 
We're here to strengthen you. That is fidelity. That is what love for the brotherhood looks like. Sam, we want to tell you, you are Aaron. You are your brother's Aaron. That when you are facing, when your brothers are facing something difficult, they're facing down a task that is way more weighty for one than, than one man can bear. But you show up. You are life to your brother in that moment. You are water to your brother in that moment. That is who God has called you to be. Verse 29 says, Moses and Aaron brought together all the elders of the Israelites, and Aaron told them everything the Lord has said to Moses. How about that? He also performed the signs before the people, and they believed. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshiped. Moses and Aaron went down to Egypt together to be physically present with their brothers, to strengthen them and inspire them. This is what a love for the brotherhood looks like. This is fidelity begetting fidelity. Think about what the Lord has called us to. Think about what it's going to look like for you to have not seen your brothers for a year, two years, three years. Get off a plane and go right there into the, the den of the lion and look at your brother face to face. Think about the strength that that brings and that will bring. Church, we will be life to one another. We, build, we will be water to one another, and we do it by being there together. There's another man who demonstrated this, and we want to take a look at him. He is first Sam, it's 1 Samuel 23, picking up in verse 15. While David was at Horesh in the desert of Ziph, he learned that Saul had come out to take his life. Does that sound like a situation that might cause your knees to buckle a little bit? And Saul's son, Jonathan, went to David at Horesh and helped him find strength in God. We looked at, the, at a map. Church, this is 11 hours on foot from Gibeah, where Saul was, to David in the desert of Ziph. Look at the extent to which Jonathan went to affirm his brother's confidence in the promise and that he was behind him. He didn't just send a letter. It wouldn't have, done, it wouldn't have been good enough. He didn't send a courier. He put his feet to faith, and he went and joined his brother in the desert. And that is important now, but it will be all the more important as our days continue. That is what we're called to do with one another. I have to imagine that this walk, that David seeing Jonathan in that moment, was like life coming right up out of the desert. That encouragement, that fidelity, is what binds us. We are to strictly be fidelity to one another. Going to whatever lengths necessary to make sure that whether it's imperial Egypt or a situation that seeks to rob our brothers of their hope in the promise, they're never facing that alone. Not going to do it. They're not going to be alone as they face these things. Aside, you are not alone in anything that you are fighting. See, the 40 martyrs of Sebast are a model to us. How to follow in this aspect. And if you haven't heard that lesson, if you don't, if that's not familiar to you, go listen to Soldier. 2014, it will change your life. These men's strength was found in one another. Alone, it would have been hell to stay on that ice. But together, hand in hand, they said, devil, bring it on. We're going to worship into the kingdom 
and God testified to what it looks like. He testified to the kingdom culture that says, we are brothers and we will not move from this ice. Church, after you have gone to the extent to be physically present with your brothers and to stand with them, this leads us right up to step number two, and we want to talk about that. So after you're there, what do you do? You become familiar with God's promises to your brothers, and you remind them of it often. See, when <laughs> we, my brother said we looked up the map of Israel from Gibeah to where David was, 11 hours on foot. Jonathan did not have Nikes on. That's 11 hours in our present day. And yet he went to strengthen his brother to be physically there. You know what else he went on to do? Look at verse 17 of 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel 23. It says, don't be afraid, he said. My father Saul will not lay a hand on you. You will be king over Israel, and I will be second to you. Even my father Saul knows this. The two of them made a covenant before the Lord. Church, put yourself in David's shoes for a second. When you have a brother who has gone through laying down his life, traveling to come see you, standing there with you in your situation, and he's demonstrating sacrificial and confidential actions towards you, saying, do not be afraid, you will be king over Israel. Do not be afraid, you will fulfill the promises that God has said that will come to pass. How do you feel in that moment? Put yourself in David. How do you feel in that moment when your brother is giving you life-giving prophetic speech saying this is going to happen? That Nick Rosales, you will strengthen and empower the weak and broken heirs of others by the laying down of your life. It's going to come to pass. How do you feel in that moment? When it says, Andrew Tisdale, you will illuminate the presence of God by building and strengthening and repairing the lives of others. It doesn't matter what you're going through now. It is going to happen. If God said it, it is, he, he is going to bring it to pass. How do you feel in that moment? A man like Marlon Sosa, who's called to bring light to darkness, order to chaos, and peace and shalom to others. Aren't you inspired? Aren't you moved? See, LCM, we are being inspired to fidelity. We are being inspired to a love for the brotherhood. Now, that was David. Put yourself in Jonathan's shoes. The man who went the distance to be physically near David and speaking life into him because this is exactly who we're called to be, LCM. We are the Jonathan. It is through the laying down of our lives continually that our brothers will find life. That as we die, our brothers live. This is what, this is, when we when were putting this message together, this is what we've experienced in our lives. To be invited into the pastor's home. They, they came to us and said, we know exactly what you men are called to be. And they invited us into their home. They gave us life-giving prophetic speech. They gave us vision for what our lives look like. How strengthened was that to us? We exist to do the exact same for others. That's why we're here. And LCM, you get to do this for one another. When I look at a man like Rick Lawhon, man, not just, not just a master craftsman, but a man who skillfully 
knows the word of God and how to put into practice, that is a man that I want to die for. I'm going to rephrase that. That is a man that I am dying for. This is what fidelity to the brotherhood looks like, LCM. It is through the life-given prophetic speech and the watering of our souls with God's word that brings your brother's calling from death to life. It is the dry bones that we see in Ezekiel 37. Ezekiel 37, 11 says, Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They say our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Oh, my people, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Whenever your brother is being covered by the rubble of evidence that seems contrary to God's promises, the reason that we exist, the reason I exist, is to come and pull them out of that by breathing the Ruach HaKodesh, the breath of life that God has put in, in me, into them and saying, hey, no, that is a lie. This is what God has said, and he reigns over all. He is sovereign, and this is what you will do. As a matter of fact, let's get up and do it together. You look at him like Caleb, looked at Joshua and says, you remember what God said about us. You remember the promises that he gave us as a corporate body. You remember what he said that we would do for Israel? Let's go get him. Let's go and do what God told us that we would do. See, this connects us in a way that we will only see the promises of God together. Like our brothers that are waiting for us. Like, like that, that, that hall of, of witnesses waiting for us to receive the promises that God has given them. Church, this takes us to our third step. We look for ways to get our brothers involved. Go with us to Acts 11. We're going to see how, how Barnabas lays down a pattern for us to follow. News of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived, they saw the evidence and gr of the evidence of the grace of God. What does it like to see evidence of the grace of God? He was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Y'all remember this being the theme of our conference a few years ago? Barnabas was a capable man, good, full of the spirit, full of faith. He was sent by the church in Jerusalem to see what was going on in Antioch. Salvation was breaking out amongst the Gentiles, and they sent him to go check it out. He saw the evidence of God's grace at work in the lives of the believers. He encouraged them, to, and, he encouraged them and looked at what the, look at what the first thing he does in verse uh, 25. Sorry. Did you guys catch that? You ever, we were in the back studying, Acts 11, verse 24, never realized it before. It literally is just a commentary on Barnabas' life. You can could, you could almost just skip from verse 23 into 25 and the, the story flows. But in 24, it gives us commentary about the man. This is the same man that they call, uh, 
Barnabas, a son of encouragement, a disciple of the apostles. And when salvation was breaking out amongst the Gentiles, they sent Barnabas to investigate and see what was going on. And when he got there, he was overjoyed. When he got there, he saw saw salvation and the grace of God with the people. And the first thing he does after he sees that is what we pick up in verse 25. It says, then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were first called Christians there at Antioch. See, Barnabas went to go get his brother. He intentionally went out to look for him, to get him involved in the work of the Lord because he did not want to do it alone. He saw Paul as a necessity in his life, and he needed him. This is what it's like to put into practice John 15, 13, to lay down our lives for our brothers. Barnabas doesn't get to Antioch and says, yes, Lord, I've I've been waiting my whole life to minister by myself. The first thing he does, I need my brother. I need my brother. And he goes to get Paul. See, this is what it looks like to show love and fidelity to the brotherhood. And LCM, this is not the first time Barnabas has done this. After Paul was converted in Acts 9, man, the dude was on fire, preaching. People were trying to kill him. He went out to Jerusalem to, to, to see the brotherhood. It says all the disciples were afraid of him, and they, they stayed away from him except Barnabas. Barnabas could see something in Paul's life. He could see the genuine gospel working inside of him. He said, this man is the son of God, and he took Paul in. See, this is what we're called to do, LCM, to be able to look at each other and see Christ in each other, to see God at work in our brothers. LCM, we have men who are capable in this body, men who are rising up to the calling of officers, men who are destined to do incredible, amazing, godly things in the kingdom of God, but it is only achieved by drawing our brothers near and getting them involved in the work so that together with our brothers, we can build up other brothers and inspire them to more fidelity and a love for the brotherhood. This is what the Lord is doing in this body. Think about how this impacted Paul. When he's just going about his day, minding his business, and here comes Barnabas looking for him. What do you think it meant to Paul to have Barnabas show up in his city and say, Brother, I need you. There's a work of God taking place in Antioch. I need you. You're you're necessary in my life. I cannot do this alone. Come with me so that we can do this together and build up the church. Did you hear that they were there for a whole year? Together. Fidelity. Brotherhood. Think about yourselves, brothers. Haven't you experienced this kind of fidelity that Barnabas has shown to Paul in this church? Think about the many times that the pastors have invited you to their homes, to work projects, things that they can do by themselves, but they went on and said, hey, I need you. It would be faster. I want you there. When I'm working on my truck, I want you there. When I'm working on my siding, I want you there. When I'm going, I I want you there because I need you, and together we build up the body. Think about the home group leaders, you guys who are leading home groups. The pastors could see God's grace working in our midst, and they said, hey, we can't do this alone. We need to raise up leaders. And they drew you guys near. 
And now you're building up your brothers through love and fidelity. This is how we grow. LCM, freely you have received and freely we must give. We have received freely in this body. I think about when I first showed up. I didn't even know I needed to be baptized. Can you believe that? Can you believe that I did not know that I needed to undergo water baptism when I first showed up to the church? It's laughable. How fundamental is that? But I didn't know. But I had pastors. I had brothers who drew near to me, who spoke prophetically into my life and said, hey, we want you here. We want you near us. And look at what God is doing in my life today. I exist to do the exact same thing for my brothers. LCM, this is what we get to do for one another, to inspire each other to more fidelity and a love for the brotherhood. And LCM, when we act this way, when we act this way to each other, do you know what it produces in our midst? Somebody say what? It produces an ongoing reciprocal relationship of brothers showing fidelity to each other. Inspiring each other to greater levels of brotherhood. This is what it means for you to be a gift to your brother. This is what it means to be a gift to our brothers. David Bonham is a gift. You guys agree? Paul, you're a gift. Tom, you are a gift. Red, you are a gift. And now when we say gift, what we really mean to say is when you look at your brother, you're saying, brother, you are the greatest inspiration of fidelity and trust to me. That is what it means to be a gift to one another. That when I look out in the body and I see men who have separated from the world, lost water of the womb family members, and are still pursuing the kingdom with everything they have, that is the greatest inspiration, fidelity, trust that I've ever seen before. This is how we grow, LCM. This is what James 1 says. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. Where's our salvation from? Heaven, from above. We're filled with the Spirit. Where's that from? Heaven, from above. We are gifts to one another. This brotherhood is a gift. Now, early we told you about Moses and Aaron and Jonathan and David and and Barnabas and Paul, we want to show you guys something about this ongoing reciprocal relationship between the brotherhood and the fidelity they show one another. So let's talk about Moses and Aaron. Aaron goes to see Moses in the desert, right? He physically puts himself next to his brother. And what does Moses do for Aaron? He anoints him and ordains him and all his sons to the priesthood. This is what reciprocal relationships of fidelity look like to one another. This is Jonathan and David. Jonathan goes out to the desert of Ziph to speak life to David about David's calling and him being king over Israel. David inspired Jonathan to the point that Jonathan looks right at him, right at him and says, I want to be exactly like you. I want to be Mishneh, an exact copy. This is what reciprocal relationship of fidelity looks like to one another. This is Barnabas and Paul. Barnabas going to Paul saying, hey, this young fiery Christian, this young fiery man of God, however old he was, hey, I need you with me. But in Galatians 2, Paul goes down to lay down the revelation that he had before the 
the feet of the apostles in Jerusalem, and guess who he went to go get? Hey, Barnabas, hey, I need you. Let's go. This is what it looks like to reciprocate a relationship of fidelity. This is what it looks like to inspire one another to greater levels of brotherhood, to greater levels of sacrifice and service. This is how we build the body together. LCM, this is you. You inspire us, and we inspire you. This is what we do for one another, inspiring each other to greater levels of fidelity through our sacrificial and covenantal actions. This is what causes the kingdom of God to be attractive, and it is how we will make more of what we are. Went to Russia in 2018. All nine of us, amazing trip. I think it was our first day or second day in Russia. We were all in the subway just walking. Busy morning. You guys know it's cold in Russia. I'm covered with three layers. I'm freezing. No one is talking. Enough. None. The Russians are they're going either to work, they're opening up their shops, they're, they're, re- they're getting ready to start their day. We're just walking because you're in Russia. So what do you do? You walk. You find something to do. We're walking. And Pastor Jude and I noticed something. There was a man that was following us about maybe 20 feet away. We would move, a certain, we'll move to a certain part of the subway, and he would follow us. So him and I, we trailed back. Hey, you notice this guy following us? When we ascended the, st- the stairs of the subway, him and I turned around and faced this guy. said, hey, why are you following us? You know the first thing out of his mouth? Russian. <laughs> okay, so let's pull out our Google Translate, because we don't know what this guy is saying. And we said, hey, why are you following us? And showed it to him. He responded in Russian and said, I don't know. I just saw you guys. He could see the fidelity that we had for one another. And he could not explain why he was following us. His name was Ali and he was a Muslim. You know what happened to Ali? He spent the entire day with us. Took us all around Russia. Showed us all his friends. Went to coffee shops with us. Why? Because he was inspired by the fidelity that we had with one another. This is what makes the gospel attractive, LCM. And this is how we will make more of what we are. And this is what you get to do. This is what we must do for one another in this body. And our good father is taking notice of each and every single one of you. Every single brother in here. Every single family in here in this church He's taking note of you laying down your life, knowing that the only reason you exist is to see your brother elevated like John the Immerser, and he is fighting for us. He's fighting for you, Adam Cora. He's fighting for you, Brenton. Cody, he's fighting for you. He sees you laying down your life for your brother, selfless sacrifice, fidelity. He's fighting for us. And look at Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews 6, picking up in verse 10. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. Think about John here for a second. He will not forget the, your, your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people. We want each of you to show the same diligence to the very end in order to make your hope sure. We don't want you to become lazy. But to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what God has promised. Church, we show our love for God by sacrificial and covenantal actions towards our brother. That is how you know that you love God 
when you can sacrifice for the man to your left and to your right, says, I care not what it means for me. I don't care about exalting myself. All I want to see is Carlos get to where he's supposed to be. Like John, we show love and honor to God by dying to see our brother's work accomplished, being jailed, being stoned. Church, these two are one. God is connecting these for us. You want to love God? You want to serve God? Start with your brother. Make that your life sin. Make that your goal. To see them reach their calling. That's what our pastors are showing us. These two are one. It's no wonder that next to the marriage covenant, the covenant relationship between brothers is what's most attacked. Most, the most division comes is between brothers who are meant to hold the line together. Who are meant to charge the gates of hell together. Well, you know what we say? God's empire is striking back. (laughs) That's for you, John Dane. We have to be diligent to the very end of our lives, making our sole existence about seeing our brother's works accomplished both here and around the globe. This is our future. Nehemiah 4, 6 says, so we rebuilt the wall until all of it reached half its height, for the people worked with all their heart. What does it look like to have a 10-foot section of wall here and a 2-foot section? That wall is coming down. That's not how God has instructed us to build. No, we only grow, we only rise as we do it together until all of the wall reaches the proper height. Our call and goal is to inspire fidelity in one another. And this is what makes the gospel attractive to the nations. You know the scripture that came from that experience in Russia? The revelation that God uh, embedded in our souls as a seed to water? is John 13 Verse 34 and 35. Look at what it says. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Talk about effective evangelism. People can feel in the spirit and see physically the love and the fidelity that we have towards each other. And that is something that inspires them. And that's what makes the gospel attractive. It's not about how anointed we are. It's not about any of those things. It's the love and fidelity that we show one another is how all men, all the nations, that yellow map will know that we're truly Walking in the way of Yeshua, Messiah. Do y'all love Juan? Yeah. Y'all love Junior? Yeah. Does that brother beam with the radiance and joy that says he loves Jesus? Yeah. It's people and couples like Juan the Grimaldos that will show the nations the truth of the gospel. Won't be through wise words or persuasive speech. It'll be because they see the love that he has for Jesus and the way that he shows it by men that are not, he not he's not related to through blood. That's how we will go to the nations. That's what we're gonna bring to we're gonna bring family to the nations. That's what we got to provide today. We have to provide a global family that loves one another. 
Come on up. Church, if we're to see every nation of men represented at his throne, it will be because they saw us living a sacrificial and covenantal kind of lifestyle that is like family. Church, we prepare for the harvest of these nations by loving the, the brotherhood as Jesus defined it. That's how we prepare. You want to get ready? That is how you do it. You lay down your life now for the man next to you. You see them rise to their calling now. Then you go and make disciples. This is the culture that we will propagate among the nations, starting in our homes and radiating outward. Church, the Lord has apportioned for us, for you and me, to be with one another, to have sweet fellowship, to stare down the hordes of Egypt, the hordes of medical decisions, to stare these things down together, to stare death down together. That's what God has apportioned for us. He has ordained you to breathe life into your brother's calling by reminding them of the promises of God. It is an absolute necessity that we parakaleo one another, that we look to get one another involved, that we call one another up to who we're called to be. We're going to close with Romans 12. Amen, Pastor Matt. Y'all stand up with us. Romans 12, 1. We're going to turn the jewel a little bit. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. So what is our spiritual act of worship? It's to offer ourselves as sacrifices. Not for ourselves. Not so that we would feel accomplished and feel like we, we gave God a good sacrifice. That we would, we would lay our lives down and lay our bodies down for our brothers. So tonight, if you could look at your Christian walk and define it as anything other than being for your brother, burn it at the altar. Make that the living sacrifice that we give God. And when you get up, it's no longer time to contemplate all the areas in which oh, we, I haven't done this right. I haven't got it right here. When you stand up, that is the time where we act. That is the time where we do the next righteous action towards the families next to us. And that is the time that we begin to build the kingdom together. God has called for fidelity in this body and an increase of it. And you know what? He is getting it. It's rising. That's what we're bringing to the One Association. That is what we have to offer to the world because it's what the world so desperately needs. What a good message, huh? Now, you're on your feet, so I know I'll have your attention. I'm not supposed to be speaking now, uh, but we do what our Father says, right? These topics are abstract enough that you can miss them. Did you know you were supposed to love your brother before you walked in? Yeah. Did you know that you were supposed to lay down your life for your brother before you walked in? So what would be different when you walk out? If you knew it before you came in, what will be different when you walk out? That's the problem with us in Christianity. We already know. 
So let's look at some very practical things. We'll talk to you for just a second about the idolatry of self. My knee hurts right now. In fact, it's been hurting for 10 weeks. They burned my gums today to uh, fix a tooth problem today. That also kind of sucks. I'm a little bit tired. That's what I was thinking about in the opening song today. And what you don't realize when that's happening is that it is the idolatry of self because if you're thinking about those things, what are you not thinking about? I have a long list of things to do tomorrow more than I think that I can do. If I'm thinking about that, even though I think it's for my brothers, what am I not thinking about right now? So let's put this into very practical terms. Did Moses have to pick up a phone and call Aaron in Exodus 4 to get him to come? Aaron's a slave. I have no idea how he got away. There's an ocean between him and the place he was going. I have no idea how he crossed it. I mean, God split it when the nation did it. I, I don't know how Aaron got there. How did Aaron know to come? Had Moses been writing him letters? I could really use your help. I mean, how did he know? Evidently, Aaron's prayer life didn't revolve around what God would do for Aaron. This week, can you honestly say, uh, please don't answer this out loud because I'll be at the altar with you, that you have been praying fervently for the success of your brothers? Or does it mo look more like, Lord, my knee hurts, my mouth hurts, and there's more than I can do tomorrow? Because that is the idolatry of self. David did not have to call and asked Jonathan to make the 11-hour hike. How did Jonathan know to come? That's crazy, isn't it? Paul did not email Barnabas and say, hey, look, if you get a good job opportunity, I would like you to include me. How did Barnabas know that he needed to go find Paul? If you heard this message and you thought it would be really good if some brothers wanted to be physically around me, it'd really be good if some brothers sometimes reminded me of, of promises, it'd be really good if brothers included me in work, then you are overcome with the idolatry of self. Of course, if hearing this message and getting ready to approach this altar. You said, you know who I admire most in the Bible and I want to be like? Aaron, the one that crosses the desert to help us, brother. The one that I want to be most like. I mean, I know everybody loves King David, but I really want to be Jonathan. I want to be the guy that helps David rise. 
If you said, you know, Jesus is really great, but I kind of like his cousin, I want to be the one that makes the way for other people's ministry. If you said, as great as the Apostle Paul is, and I know everybody loves him, but what I really want is to be Barnabas. God, help me become Aaron, Jonathan, John the Immerser. Help me become Barnabas. Well, then you might have understood what was said. But I have a feeling that if I didn't do this close, a good percentage of you would walk out agreeing with the message like you agreed with it before you came in, but not much would be different in your prayer life or your actions towards your brother the next time we cover this message. They gave us three very practical things. Number one, go join with your brother physically. And now you know you don't have to wait for him to call. Should probably be born out of simply laboring in prayer and going, I don't know why, I just feel like I should stand next to Micaiah today. Watch what God does with that. Secondly, when you are there, what do I preach? What do I teach? How can I present? How about you just remind them of the things that you have heard them say regarding the promises of God? Man, see how practical that is? Third, when you do have a task, something that you know that God has asked you to do, include them. See, these are ways that you can lay down your life for your brother. And you know what? It won't feel like laying down your life. When John the Baptist did this for Jesus, he said his joy was complete. When God said Aaron was going to do this for Moses, God said it'll make his heart glad when he sees you. Could you be missing out on the greatest joy in life because of the idolatry of self and not even know it? Well, I'm going to start at the altar and we'll pray. Father, we thank you for being good to us, for teaching us your ways, for leading us onto level ground. Lord, we are asking for a prayer life that burns for the kingdom success in our brothers. Lord, we are asking for the opportunity to be near them physically and for you to prompt it. Lord, for you to recall to our mind the beautiful promises you've given to our brothers that the word of faith might come from our mouth to their ears about what they have already heard. Lord, we pledge to you that when you entrust us with a task, we will include them. We want to be Aaron. We want to be Barnabas. We want to be Jonathan. We want to be John the Immerser. And here at this altar, we put to death the idolatry of self. Come and reign in us tonight, Lord. Come and move in us tonight that we might be free from chains we didn't know we were wearing.